All right, guys, look, we know what this is. It's my pre-show pitch to try to convert more free first-hour listeners to full two-hour-plus show subscribers. And this is a format I've been using for 10 years now, so I realize that most people who see the value have already pulled the trigger on it, but now I'm trying to get deep down into those hard-to-reach places, and I guess that's you. Now, what can I say that hasn't been said? There's only a few ways a podcast works. The big one is ads. They suck. They ruin the flow of the show. And in a lot of cases, they erode the trust and respect I have for hosts that go this route. They shouldn't be promoting boner pills and hair pills or encouraging a fast track through the therapy pipeline just because they're getting paid. I've seen nutritionalists break down some of these ingredients in the athletic health powders and drinks and surprise, they're not as good as they claim to be. I bought a razor my favorite podcaster said would be Nick Proof, nicked myself the first day. I got sucked into a foam mattress from a guy who said he's never slept better and I haven't slept good since. And that Irish titles thing everyone was selling turned out to be a complete scam too. But enough about how my colleagues' mouths are for sale to whoever asks, I'm here to put you in this Plus membership today. Five shows a month for eight bucks with a decade-long archive. And yes, the first hour is important. It's there to present our guests to the wide counterculture, open-minded audience we've cultivated, and it gives people a feel for if they like what THC is, as well as being the proof of concept that I can do a lot more with the added time. The second hour is so I can make a living, and it's also an opportunity to get into the stuff your standard one-hour shows can't. Asking guests about that obscure, provocative quote from their book that I actually read, talking about previous work they might have done, getting their thoughts on some odd subject outside of their latest material, or maybe even talking about something too spicy to be out there in the open. And that should appeal to anyone who enjoys the first hour. And when you become a Plus member, these full episodes are all there in a single two-hour file, no switching back and forth or downloading two separate halves of the same interview. It's very nice to have it that way going forward. And if you want to go back, unlike most podcast archives that are just a big chronological list, the HiresideChats.com has categories and scrolling displays much like the big streaming services. And it's all optimized for mobile, and you can even download the files for offline listening. Find some old ones you liked and refresh your memory by starting at the beginning or jump in about 50 minutes to hear everything that would be new to you. I'm even going to be pulling one free plus show a month out of the archive and into the free feed to give you an even better sense of what you miss. The on-site comment section is pretty lively and the rating system is there to let me know the shows plus people like best. You also get lifetime access to the forum and access to a bonus page of exclusive interviews I've done here and there, bonus content from other shows that I was on videos from the few live podcasts I've done, and the MP3s of all the THC closing cover songs I've had made. But that's not all, folks. Plus members also get a discount code for THC merch. A lot of great artwork of aliens, summoning rituals, hollow earth maps, and a wide range of wild stuff put on shirts, coffee mugs, pillows, yada yada yada. But it's the ongoing full interviews people want, and it's convenience that they need. Well, I know 90% of listeners are in a podcasting app right now. So at the top of the show notes, there are the signup links. The form is quick and easy and THC Plus has an RSS feed like any other show and it can be used with all the big podcasting apps too. I've got support documents and real non-bot people to help you if you need it. But it's been made as easy as it can be and you get a seven day free trial to make sure I'm right. At least meet me there. I also have a Patreon link at the top of the show notes, which I don't love. I'd rather not have a middleman between us when we could be dancing cheek to cheek, but they are a Spotify partner, and a lot of people choose Spotify to listen to THC. So I wanted to make sure they could use it for Plus also, while they let us. 
The show notes also give you my P.O. box for cash, checks, or business-to-business bartering, as well as all the crypto addresses, because anything is better than nothing. And I want the Plus shows to be heard any way they can be. Just offer me some kind of exchange, you know? This is the job I work at. And I use this example a lot, but a waiter gets an $8 tip for walking the most forgettable meal of your life from the kitchen to the table, and you don't get anything extra for your $8 either. If what I do here isn't at least worth that, is it even worth your time? Hey, I don't like doing this part of the job, but I owe it to my family now to suck it up and make my case while I can, because who knows how long this can last. I'm not some Hollywood millionaire trying to appear genuine through a focus-grouped podcasting venture cycling through all the other celebrities in the agency. I'm just a regular guy who had to make myself valuable when the working world didn't think I had anything to offer. And I hope the first free hour proves that the full experience is worth the price. If we don't like the ad revenue-based world we're living in, then we have to support people who dare to do it a different way, who provide us something interesting, entertaining, and hopefully useful. Outside of that, I just ask that you support the guests who resonate with you, or at least let them know you appreciated what you heard. And that's it. We can get on with the show. And we'll let the rest of the podcasting world pretend there's no better way to do it than disingenuously hyping up any product that cuts them a check while we do our own thing. Meet me on the plus side. The water's fine. And enjoy. The planet's puppet masters almost surely have a plan. There's clearly maybe something there beyond the realm of man. But until you've thoroughly tested every last close chested view, I find the more you think you know, the less you really do. Where would we be? Shots fired, higher side chatters from the Sunshine State. I'm Greg Carlwood, and despite the modern way of doing things being propped up by oligarch funding, educational indoctrination, regulatory capture, media propaganda, and the white lab coat mafia, more and more people are starting to see the cracks in the system and realizing that highly technical does not mean better. Monocrop agriculture versus traditional permaculture, natural holistic approaches versus toxic chemical sprays. Living electrolyzed H2O versus dead chemical-filled fluoridated water, dense EMF smog-covered smart cities versus life in rural or wilderness areas closer to clean air and oxygen-rich tree-filled environments. We're always being told that the industry experts have it handled. All they need is our blind trust. But how many approved drugs have had to be removed after the damage was done? And how many modern medical advancements like bloodletting, electroshock therapy, and even lobotomies are now thought of as backwards and barbaric? Are these really just elements of the past, or are we going to look back from the future and feel the same way about practices in the present? Well, if you read Shannon Rowan's 700-page takedown of the medical machine titled Shots Fired, Vaccine Weapons, Medical Tyranny, and the War Against Humanity, it's hard to see anything getting better without completely discarding the established order. You might remember Shannon being here once before with John Hamer talking about the work they've done together in Welcome to the Masquerade, Prelude to the Coming Reset, 
but she's also the author of Wi-Fi Refugee, Plight of the Modern Day Canary, which she wrote after realizing how EMFs were negatively affecting her own health and the health of many others considered, quote, EMF sensitive. She certainly knows a lot about a lot, so let's learn something. The medical cartel critic, EMF exposer, and teacher on all things toxic, Shannon, welcome back. Thank you, Greg. It's great to be back, and thanks for that wonderful intro. Very flattering. I liked it. (laughs) I appreciate that. Okay. Congrats on another great book. You cover so much in this one, from the warped history of vaccines and germ theory to water fluoridation, the COVID era, and the insane transhumanist plans they have for the future. It really does cover a lot. But I guess after writing Wi-Fi, Refugee, and Welcome to the Masquerade, why did you choose this as the next book to write? Yeah, I guess I just wanted to dive a little deeper, but also to show a chronological order history of how we got here today, because I think it's so important. You know, when you read the history of all this, you realize how familiar it sounds and how it keeps repeating and how this has also been building from one to the next thing. So it's like we had the foundation laid for us a couple hundred years ago with germ theory and with vaccinations, you know, with Jenner, with the first vaccines and with Louis Pasteur. And so they laid this foundation of indoctrination that has now allowed for the tyranny that's arisen since then. Also, the AMA, that's the American Medical Association, the formation of that and how they monopolized medicine in this country. People don't realize that 1800s, there was all kinds of options prior to the rise of that group. And they're taking over the medical schools and then kind of standardizing everything under the auspices of public safety, oh, quackery, and, you know, people need this gold standard, we're going to set it for them. And you can then trust a medicine, but their real agenda, which is actually documented, is that they want to make more profits, they want it to make it like an elitist thing that only certain people could even pay for to go to school. And so there's that indoctrination in medical schools. So all of this happened first, before we got to today and this insane lockdown world we've had to live in in the last few years. So it's important to understand that so that we can then free ourselves from it. And so that's really why I wanted to do that. I wanted to have it sort of all in one place where you could just see that path and what transpired. Mm-hmm. Well, you do a great job. And it is true that when you look at the history of a lot of different segments of the conspiracy pie, it's usually one trigger event that you are confronted with. You're like, wow, I can't believe they would do that. And then if you look at the history, of those sorts of things, you find that it's not the first time and it's all built on a foundation that goes back a long time. 9-11 is the example I use all the time. That was a big awakening thing for me. You first hear the term false flag and you're like, well, that sounds weird. But then you look at the history of false flags and it's not weird at all. It's pretty standard practice and medical conspiracies are also similar. I think when you start to think about it, It's like, wow, could they really pull something off like this? It seems like too big of a lie to get away with. But if you actually look at the history of it, you can see how it was done. Like you say, the AMA, medical school. I mean, does medical school and the medical profession really have to be as grueling as it is? The schedules that they're under, it almost seems like some kind of torture. It almost seems like... A person's unable to think properly because they are always sleep deprived and always on call. And there has to be a better way. Yet in so many years, they've never explored that. I wonder 
why that is. Maybe they don't want people thinking too deeply about what they learned in the books. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right on point. I mean, that's what it is. It's really like a whole hazing ritual that med students go through. And that is for the purpose of indoctrination. But it's like they cannot question authorities. And many who've come out and spoken about their experience and who've like seen, really understood and woken up to the fact of what happened to them and what its intent is have described it that way and have described it as a kind of torture, yeah, sleep deprivation, protein deprivation, and also under these horrific conditions. And you're seeing horrific things. And it's really, to me, it's like akin to soldiers in the battlefield. Like soldiers in the battlefield, there's a hierarchy and there's a chain of command. And so as the resident, you cannot question anybody above you. And so as you climb that ladder, it's like you can take a different position, but there's always somebody up higher than you that you take orders from. And if you fall out of line at all, you lose your license just like that. So that's it, you know? And so really, really who's guiding all that is like the medical boards, like the hospital boards and who's funding them. The funding is always important. So following the money as usual, will lead us to the actual conspirators and the people who are orchestrating these things. It's always that. It's that simple, really. But Right. And the intent is such an important thing to focus on. And I think what really woke me up to it not having altruistic intentions, the medical establishment, is just how many people are attacked when they have alternative cures. They lose their medical license. They might even be put in jail. Their businesses are definitely shut down. And if you really ask a lot of medical professionals, they will say that it's a learning process. Like they think they're in this you know, medical field and we know a lot, but there's still a lot we don't know and we're learning more all the time. Well, then why are you shutting down the guy who has a line around the block because he's curing cancer? You don't know how to cure cancer, right? Like there's a lot of things that you can't cure. So why don't you learn from this person instead of shutting them down? So. I think that goes a long way into revealing their true intentions, and they're not good. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many stories of raids on old ladies who are, you know, just giving out free herbal advice or free medicines and confiscating ozone machines. That's been a more recent event, things like that. But you're right. SCACT, I and mean, this happens in the realm of energy too. Stanley Myers water engine, they find all sorts of different energy devices and fuel sources. And if they're not as easy to control as oil, well, they get shut down. So they don't want us to have the best of the best. They want us to have the most profitable for the few. And you spend a lot of time on the COVID shots and all the issues that came along with them, the Guillain-Barr syndrome, myocarditis, fertility issues. And there's a lot of people now using this term turbo cancer, fast acting cancer that hits people harder and faster than it traditionally does. And you use the term in the book, walking time bombs, which is a strong term for sure. What information do we have now about the jabs that we might not have even had a, a year or two ago? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it, we didn't have it a year or two ago, but the fact that they all contain graphene oxide, that's sort of linked to the walking time bomb idea because it's highly conductive. They call it a superconductor metal, which is actually being implemented in the Internet of Things with 5G because the Internet of Things really involves us humans. And actually, any life form is the desire of the 
masters of the universe self-proclaimed is to get us all into this internet of things so that they can control, like micromanage and track and trace everything. And what we've seen with some of the jabbed is that they actually have these Mac IP addresses that they're sending out that you can read from them, which is really telling right there. But also the graphene oxide itself has been described as these tiny little razor blades that can just cut through, you know, this is what's causing the blood issues like both hemorrhaging and clotting. So that problem is, okay, since they're conductive and your heart's electrical, for example, we saw these soccer players dropping dead on the field or having heart attacks. And that's because the increased electrical activity while they're running in their heart will actually attract the graphene oxide to it and then cause damage. And this is why it can be like in your system, but not doing anything yet until you have the event where you might exercise too much simply, you know, thinking you're doing something good for your body and your health, and then suddenly you're collapsing. And I've actually known several people to collapse after exercise, even mild exercise, taking a walk who were jabbed, even a company went to the hospital, you know, first got a diagnosis of myocarditis and then something else. And I even asked the doctor at the time, could it be she just got a booster, you know, so many days ago? And he's like, no, I mean, could it happen? Well, anything can happen. Yes, I mean, there's a zero, zero, zero point one percent chance it would happen. And given this person's history, oh, it's not likely. And I'm like, how can you say it's not likely? How can you actually say somebody just had a drug? You know, the thing is, people have this other idea of vaccines that it's something different from a drug. And this is indoctrination for everybody. All medical professionals say vaccines are different. It's like they just give them that label. It's like they're immune to everything. They can't cause any problems, you know, even though statistics show us otherwise. But even their own reporting system, which is only 1% of them, these events get reported. But the fact that you just had a drug given, if there's any other pharmaceutical drug was given five days before a heart event, if you're a good doctor or any doctor usually would say, well, maybe it's that drug. Let's look at that. Especially when the side effects that are documented already say myocarditis, say all these things. You don't even look at the pamphlet inserts. I mean, I just sent this to a friend who has developed POTS and, you know, has had the jab and she's my age and all of a sudden she has these weird problems and she has POTS and that's the postural orthopedic something <laughs> syndrome, <laughs> but it's like basically not able to walk anymore, you know, really debilitating. And I gently said, hey, have you looked at this? Here's the Pfizer, these side effects of special interest that are documented. Here's the link to it. It says POTS right here. Maybe you want to, because the doctors are saying they don't know why. Isn't that crazy? The doctors don't know what it is, but they know it's not that. That's the common thing is like, well, I don't know what caused this, but I know it was not the vaccine. That would be impossible. And it's like, as you say, all drugs have side effects, but if they're put in a syringe and then put under your skin, that's magic. That can do no harm. And you mentioned the Bluetooth Mac addresses thing. I actually took this from the book because I, I wanted to bring it up because I really haven't heard this. I mean, at the beginning, we heard all kinds of things about the magnetism and stuff, but this definitely kind of went by the wayside. But you say trapped in the net, Bluetooth Mac addresses in the vaccinated. Anyone branded like cattle with the new shots are likely sending their data to remote servers via their new Mark or Bluetooth signals and Mac IP addresses, which have consistently been picked up from the vaccinated. Several videos have documented this phenomenon, including a compelling one from a French research team who initiated the participation of random volunteers in a public park, separating them into groups of vaccinated and unvaccinated and tested each 
to see if any were registering an unnamed MAC address, which many from the vaccinated group did. These new human IP addresses show up when an Android smartphone or Bluetooth-enabled laptop activates the Bluetooth setting, which then scans the area for a connection to reachable Bluetooth devices. Well, like I said, I hadn't heard this. It's pretty out there, but I guess it's happening. If I wanted to test this with my vaccinated friends, I would just, what? I mean, I'd find out here at my home, I know what things would be searchable on the network and then I'd have my buddy over and I guess there'd be one more searchable thing. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people have tested this, including friends of mine. That's why I don't think it's just some kind of scam, you know, some kind of internet hoax, because I had a friend who's been testing it on his phone going around. I don't use cell phones, but he was noticing all the new weird IP addresses and they look different. They have a different kind of numbering sequence than what you normally see on your other devices. And it would match the people coming into the space he was in or almost match. And of course, you could say, well, maybe they're carrying something on them that has that. But again, these look like different the way they're listed out. So from like a laptop or something. Man, it seems weird with that sort of evidence that it just hasn't been explored more or exposed, you would think. Yeah. And I actually met a woman and this is not even me searching, just people I'm meeting and I'm living pretty remotely who had traveled to, well, you know, I was actually working somewhere where there were some Airbnbs for a while. So I met travelers a lot and during this whole scandemic thing. And so she actually said she didn't want to get the job, but she did because she's a teacher and, you know, whatever. And so she said when she was traveling, she recently took a trip and she was on an airplane, she was at the airport and they had to get the metal, you know, the wand out to scan her because something went off when she went through the metal detector. And they kept scanning at her jab site on her arm and couldn't find anything. But like it was scanning, you know, it was sending out a magnetic signal like there was something metallic there. Weird, weird. So a thread that kind of weaves through the book is that the medical system has a lot of occult symbolism within it from the staff of Hermes symbol to bloodletting to Luciferase and Microsoft patent 060606 and even graphene oxide having a molecular weight of 666. But you also mention genome sequencing company Illumina and their offshoot Grail, as in like Holy Grail. And the company that sells personal CRISPR machines is called Odin. It's kind of hard to tell exactly what's being communicated and all that, but it doesn't seem very positive, does it? <laughs> no, and not at all. I'm sorry, I'm laughing just because it's so ridiculous. When you start noticing this, it's just kind of in our faces, but we just tune it out because we're so used to like, oh, different kinds of branding and people just kind of coming up with a name they think sounds cool or something. But if you're not really paying attention, then you don't notice how much all of these things connect. And I've just recently wrote a blog post about this disease X thing, right? So X is actually six in numerology. And so, you know, triple X movie is 666, says something about pornography right there. But then there's all these X's all of a sudden, you know, like Elon Musk named his firstborn son Ash X something or 12X, you know, has this X in it and he calls him Baby X. That's his like, nickname for his kid, you know, and then he has Space X, right? And now Twitter is X and now there's Disease X. I mean, and so to me, it's like these sixes are coming up and it's like a hex, you know, and a hexagram is actually six sided. 
And there's something called hex wave. And I wrote about this in Welcome to the Masquerade as this system, like the airport scanners, is using 5G and it can undress you basically. And they started trialing this in public places in 2020, you know, just coincidentally with everything else going on, supposedly just to find concealed weapons on people, but without their consent or knowledge, you know, covertly installed. And the idea, the plan is to put them everywhere in churches, anywhere public gatherings could happen. And so this is blasting you with this radiation and also undressing you without your consent. And, you know, again, they call it hex wave. I mean, hex is a curse, right? Why would you even call it that? It's just like so bizarre. You know, if you really think about that, why is it being called that? So it's something, yeah, definitely to pay attention to. Yeah. I mean, that's my thought on a lot of this stuff. Like, you don't have to call something Grail or Odin or Luciferase. Like, you made it. Why is it called Luciferase? Like, that's totally up to you. It could be called anything. And it, it is a little bit strange. Like, Elon Musk's obsession with X is bizarre. I don't know if you've looked much into his mother, but she seems to love occult symbolism and all that stuff. I don't know the depth of her background, really, but it seems like a lot of it does filter down from her. Yeah, that's possible. <sighs> well, here's a paragraph from the book kind of on the theme of occultism that I did not expect to find, but you write, in the 12th century, French Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, often simply referred to as Rashi, provided his own commentary on the scriptural passages from Kings, Isaiah, and Jeremiah referencing a Tolfeth, which has, quote, been defined as both a location in ancient Jerusalem, where there was a special bronze statue internally heated by fire, or the statue itself, into which children were apparently thrown for sacrifice. Rashi continues with, Tolfeth is Moloch, which was made of brass and then heated him from his lower parts and his hands being stretched out and made hot. They put the child between his hands and it was burnt. When it vehemently cried out, the priests beat a drum that the father might not hear the voice of his son and his heart might not be moved. Some claim that worshipers of Moloch persist to this day. Man, that is dark. But I struggle to understand why a father would just allow that to happen or why they would wait for the screams and then be like, oh, wait, never mind. Probably not a good idea. Let me get my son back. It's just a weird thing. But if followers or worshipers of Moloch were still around today, how would we get more clarity on that? Do you think that's the case? Is that what the medical system is based upon in your view? I wonder because, well, first of all, the interesting thing about that symbolically to me is that Moloch is like a calf headed thing, right? So again, vaccines, cows, the cattle, that was always coming up, you know, we're cattle, we're herd members. The reason it's called vaccines is it came from cow pus. In the original one for smallpox and vaca means cow. And so you've got these cows and then you've got, to me, it's like all these children were and have been continually sacrificed with vaccines. And even like the doctors who promote it will say, well, some of them will have to be sacrificed for the good of the herd. You know, they just openly say that when children die from vaccines, it's for the good of the herd. So you just have to accept that your child was one of the sacrificed ones to protect everyone else. So that attitude is really prevalent about this. I mean, the ones who even acknowledge that it will do this and it can do this when it happens, that's what they say. 
So that's one aspect of it. There is the whole Bohemian Grove rituals that happen with something that looks kind of like Moloch, but it's not quite, I think it has an owl head and not a cow head, but they've done these ritualistic the leaked stuff, like from people who've been there, said they actually did sacrifice children and people to this. But then there's also been effigies I and mean, the actual pictures we have and footage is like, well, this effigies. And they're just saying, oh, we're just doing it symbolically. But why are you even symbolically burning effigies of babies or, you know, human or like adults to this thing? It doesn't make any sense. The other thing that strikes me is Every time I hear about how babies are treated, like hospital births, you know, especially if a baby has to be in an ICU and how they're treated by the staff, by everybody there. And it's just a very detached attitude, but also it seems like they're just ritualistically torturing them. If you really step back and look at that and question the benefits of what they're doing and the actual outcomes statistically with these babies... It just starts to look like they're doing this. I mean, I don't think the people doing it know they're doing this. You know, again, they're indoctrinated and they're following orders, but somebody must, you know, like it just looks like to me, I mean, they go around scratching the feet every day, poking them, pricking them, getting their blood, constantly taking blood, taking blood, taking blood. And this has always been a running theme through allopathic medical history is this bloodletting and blood ritual stuff. So. The original vaccines actually were inoculations, they called them, with smallpox, whereas ritualistic, it was a ritualistic superstitious practice. This is what this is founded on that actually involved scratching one arm, scratching another and mingling the blood, similar to a blood oath. And there were blood oath covenants in which you like cut open an animal and step through this animal. I mean, there's just a lot of blood involved. But yeah, so it just, I mean, I think you ask, well, how could somebody let that happen? But how can people, how can doctors today let babies scream and wail when they circumcise them without any anesthetics and they have this baby strapped down so he's immobile and they say that babies can't feel pain until they're like two years old? This is what a lot of doctors believe. They hear the screaming, but they say it's just some kind of reflex or something that they're not able to feel pain. Are you kidding me? So what's happened to you? Where's your heart? You know, what's happened to your humanity and your empathy and compassion? The fact that you can ignore that, you know, is staggering. And it's just common. And even a lot of parents have been conditioned to ignore their baby screaming, especially when they don't know how to stop it screaming. They don't know what's wrong. And this happens repeatedly after vaccinations. And parents will call the doctor and say, my baby's suddenly screaming, arching his back. I can't get him to stop oh, that's okay, it's normal, it'll pass. It's normal, <laughs> don't worry about it, it'll be fine. You know. And then next thing you know, he's having seizures and the seizures are uncontrollable and, and then there's brain damage and he's mentally retarded for life and dependent on the medical system and that's a lot of money and parents go bankrupt. You know, I mean, they spend up to millions of dollars sometimes caring for these children for the rest of their lives because of these vaccine injuries and nobody's liable for that. I mean, the state is liable, not the vaccine companies, no pharmaceutical companies, you cannot sue them ever. There's vaccine courts, but then good luck getting into that court and having your case tried. It may take at least eight years and then you may not get anything and there's caps on how much you can get. So you spend eight years, you're caring for a disabled child, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars and they might give you $200,000 as the cap to what they can even award you. Yeah. You think if you were trying to prove causation that proximity to the event would be somewhat important. 
I mean, that's why we have a statute of limitations is like, we can't really prove sexual assault a decade later. So yeah, I would say the same thing. Like you should kind of prioritize those cases because they should be close to the event you're trying to make your case for. But I have two healthy kids and they are a handful. I could only imagine how difficult it is to have non-healthy kids. It's so much, but my kids are unvaccinated and the one is uncircumcised and I wish that kept them from crying and screaming all day, but it does happen. And on the subject of sacrificing children to the medical system, I brought this up in previous interviews, but it's worth mentioning again at the Gate of Heaven Cemetery in Hawthorne, New York, Celia Farber found a pit with maybe a hundred plain wooden coffins in it, she said there was more than one child's body in each and a semicircle of tombstones with a thousand names on it. And these were apparently HIV positive kids that Fauci's team experimented on. But then you go on to say another mass grave was uncovered in 2014, revealing the bodies of roughly 800 babies and children piled into a massive septic tank sitting in the back of a structure and forgotten with neither gravestones nor coffins. The structure in question is that of the remains of a mother and baby home in Ireland, one of the many homes in which Ireland's unwed mothers and babies were housed between 1922 and 1998. The mass grave found at this particular home was considered to be, quote, probably not unique. Yikes. Shannon, I don't know if you have other (laughs) examples of that, but that's about as dark as it gets. Yeah. I mean, just the fact that they're in a septic tank, again, thinking of that attitude, what is that saying about the attitude? You know, just horrible. And so, yeah, those homes actually operated until the 1990s. Last home was operating in the 1990s. This is recent, recent history. And a lot of these kids were used for vaccine experiment programs. So yeah, what it was, is was like unwed mothers. So yeah, shameful Catholic church ruling everything. They send them there. Basically, they're slaves. They're prisoners there. And sometimes they're raped. There's stories of them being raped. One woman reported having being made to walk around while she was in labor for 12 hours. And then once she had her baby, they took it from her. And then the priest proceeded to rape her right after he took her baby from her. Hmm. Yeah, pretty sick and dark. She was not allowed to touch her baby. Baby's taken away, separated from her. And then she doesn't know what happens to them. A lot of those kids are sex trafficked. Some of them are experimented on with pharmaceuticals. And these are coming from the biggest pharmaceutical companies, places like Ireland that had a kind of attitude about these kids, you know, easy place to get compliance for experimentation. And the same thing in our country, this foster system foster care often ends up sacrificing kids to medical experimentation. And that's what we saw with Fauci. That was just one location out of many and like at least seven different states where they were having these experiments where there were also mass graves from those who died of it. And they say, well, I actually read an article where they still argued that it still benefited the children because these are underprivileged kids who would otherwise not get medical treatment. They're giving them drugs that have black box label warnings on them, which means that they're lethal for adults and they're trying them out on these kids and they're saying that they would otherwise not get medical care. A lot of these kids are only testing positive. They're not sick, they're not visibly sick. And this is why I also go into this in the book about the fraudulent testing, right? This PCR 
testing nonsense and the fact that there's not even a virus and it's never isolated the HIV virus that has not happened. So this is all fraud. And so basically, what are they doing then? You know, and the kids who wouldn't comply with taking these medications, they will force feed them. They will insert tubes medically, cut open their stomachs and insert tubes into them to get them to take the medicine. I mean, that's the lengths they'll go to. And if that's not torturing children and sacrificing them, I don't know what it is. I mean, to what purpose? What did they learn from any of this? Yeah, dark stuff. So let me ask you about this. But you say that the four holy waters of the church of death, which is a great term for modern medicine, are immunizations, fluoridated water, intravenous fluids, and silver nitrate, all of questionable safety, which could equally be called the four horses of the apocalypse. Can you elaborate on those last two? I've never really heard anyone criticize intravenous fluids or silver nitrate. Yeah, that was a quote from, I think, a Dr. Mendelssohn, who that was his opinion, you know, which I used as an illustration of who was a doctor, you know, his opinion about that. I don't know much about that either. I do know that I think he's referring to these eye drops that they immediately give to babies when they're born in hospital that I think he's saying about questionable safety and use. And so I haven't researched it further, but it is interesting to hear that because I did research this was a long time ago. I heard that this is of questionable value and actually can harm the babies. So, you know, just something they do automatically. Another thing they do in the hospital automatically that doesn't really have any documented benefit and that has documented harm. Intravenous fluids, I think anytime you inject any bodies with something, you risk introducing some kind of foreign material. And so it's not a natural method of getting anything into the body. That's not something we naturally experience when you're ingesting things. It doesn't go through the needle into your veins, especially into your blood. I mean, think about that. You know, it's easy to contaminate your blood. And even the fact that they so-called sterilize the needles, what are they using to sterilize with, you know, bleach, some other chemical? I mean, that means that that's going into your blood. Whatever is on that needle is going into your blood, never mind what's in the syringe. I mean, saline solution sounds innocuous, right? What is saline solution? What is the salt they're using? If you look at what salt actually is, and I have this in the book, it can have sucrose in it, it can have aspartame in it, it can have all kinds of different substances in what we call salt. So that's going into your body. You know, maybe you can argue sometimes the benefit would outweigh the harm, the risk if somebody's severely dehydrated or something like that. But then again, you can just give subcutaneous fluids under the skin doesn't have to be into your veins. Mm -hmm. Or you just have them drink a bunch of those fluids too. Or just slowly drink the water and yeah, hydrate. <laughs> so I guess you're not much of a fan of those trendy drip bars and those IV bars that are popping up all over the cities. No, no. In fact, I did once submit myself to when I was very sick after all the radiation poisoning and everything, I was trying all kinds of different things. And I tried the ozone treatment where they actually remove my blood and put it in a bag. I watched it, you know, take blood out, put it in a bag, ozone treat it, and then put it back into me. And it always like left me, I felt horrible after, but it was like, oh, you'll feel terrible, but it'll be really good for you. <laughs> and the thing is, why was it realizing and they didn't even disclose to me, and this is like a so-called alternative doctor or integrative medical doctor, which may be even worse. But first of all, the microwave They'll heat up things in the microwave anytime. I actually had the vitamin C IVs as well. 
and they heat that up in a microwave and that does a lot of damage to the structure of everything in there with the microwaves. But also when they were putting my blood back into my body, they add like a blood thinning drug. And they said, I have to do this because otherwise it might clot. Well, those blood thinning drugs can be lethal and there's all kinds of risk factors there. So I just ended up realizing all that after the fact and didn't do it again. But yeah, even these kind of treatments that sound maybe like they're good alternatives, we have to really look at more carefully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I tried it for my allergies and I went twice and I just thought, man, the people who work here are the least healthy seeming people. And they were always bragging about how they get the bag all the time. And like they get the discount on the bags and they're just constantly sticking themselves and filling themselves up. And after the second time, I had like a chemical smell. It was like coming out of my pores. It was very strange. And it lasted for like two weeks. And I was like, man, I just can't shake this weird smell. And it's because you put this stuff in me and now it's seeping out and it's kind of gross. And my allergies are not any better. What about the stem cell injections that are supposed to make you youthful and prolong your life or whatever healthy? But those are coming from aborted fetuses mostly. So again, you know, ritualistic practices, possibly luciferian, you know, another use for like an aborted fetus. They do incept us into their weird cult and they get us to participate in many ways. In the medical system, that is one of the biggest ways is aborted fetal tissue in products or even just all the torturing of animals. And we're like, oh, it's fine. It's necessary for the greater good. And then, of course, something I always think about is just the karmic effect of our tax dollars and how everything is structured so that we have to invest in the 401k or we just give our money to the government. So they're going to get it through one of those mechanisms. It either goes to the war machine through the 401k and everyone who's investing in their 401k, it's just in like the standard S&P or whatever, one of these index funds, which is all the top companies, which are the enemy. It's all Monsanto, Bayer, Facebook. It's all the people you don't want to be propping up. And yet either you give your money to them or the government just takes it away from you. And then you're also funding the war machine. So they've structured everything in a way that you cannot keep from participating and giving your money to the negative things that you wish were gone in the world. And I mean, I kind of am like, wow, it's really impressive how you've done that. And you've gotten millions of people to just accept it. It's amazing. I was just having this conversation with my partner last night about karma and this exact thing. How do you escape from that trap that they have us? And this is the system like you cannot not participate if you want to survive. We all know that especially textiles, right? That they're sweatshops and we don't know really where our clothes come from, but we don't really have any other options, right? The globalization of everything creates this condition in which we all have to participate in slavery. We say slavery has been abolished, has not been abolished. We just don't see it anymore. And now that we can't just have neighbors who have these trades and that they've had in their families for generations where they make everything, you can't buy it locally from your neighbors. You have to buy from this global market, and this includes electronics. It includes almost everything we used somewhere along those lines was like some slave labor or environmental devastation involved. So trying to get yourself out of the system. And even if you say, I'm not going to pay taxes, every time you shop, you pay taxes. Everything you do with your money is taxed, and it goes to these machines, like you said. Yeah, it's true. 
So towards the end of the book, it just gets so wild with hive mind AI systems, brain chips, and human operating systems, and all the transhumanist stuff that I think people hear a little bit about, but still really have a hard time fully understanding. What do you really think the next 50 years would look like if they had their way? How do you wrap all that stuff together and say, well, this is what they would be doing to people? Yeah, I hate to think about the next 50 years on this trajectory. I don't want to be around for it. I can tell you that. Well, I'm presenting what is in the scientific literature and what they're saying is happening and what they're capable of. My hope is that some of that is just to mislead us and to get us to believe that they can do things they can't really do, because I don't believe that we're like machines. And that's always been this mechanistic view of allopathic medicine and just the elite who think that we're worthless, useless eaters is that we're just like machines and they can program us and they can hack into us and they can change our so-called software. But I think half the battle that we're engaged in is this kind of mental and spiritual one in that, do we believe that or not? I don't think it's possible to do really what they say. And the thing is the promises of when people who are actually falling for this idea that we could live forever or we can prolong our lives and we can have better lives through the use of technology and through transhumanism, which is basically merging man and machine. I think those promises are going to fall really short of the mark and basically empty like every other promise we've been made with modern medicine and technology of making our lives easier, giving us more leisure time, making us more prosperous, making us healthier. None of those things have happened and the opposite has happened. So what I see is this degradation of humanity. And that's the path we're on. We're being degraded physically and emotionally, mentally and spiritually, and these are all interconnected. And so what happens as we increasingly become dependent on technology and less on ourselves to do things, of course, we give away that power and that enslaves us. And so what's going to happen on this path, and it's already happening, and for example, it's always this problem, reaction, solution, right? So we've got the problem of amputees now because of the vaccines. And so what's the solution? Oh, We can give you some great new robotic arms. And of course, if you lost your arms and legs, you might be clamoring for something like that. You might say, yeah, that would be better than not having anything. So when you create a race of humans that are actually that disabled, and then you offer them this technological solution, even though technology in the first place caused the problem, and people may not remember that, they'll sign up for that. So the next stage is then, will that work very well? Probably not. I mean, already people's bodies tend to reject anything that is foreign. So, you know, any of these parts that we've already had, I mean, are problematic when you get implants of any kind, more so for some people than others. But what we're looking at, the plans are for this avatar future as well, not just human cyborgs, but avatars. Even you and I right now, we're using this platform, right? And now there's all these Zoom meetings, replacing in-person meetings. You can do so much more online now than you have to do in real life anymore. And so Japan had this news article saying it actually was anticipating that 50% of its population would be living as avatars by the year 2045. So that means that they will live at home. Just think of like the surrogate movie with Bruce Willis. You live at home, you're hooked up to IVs and drugs and your body doesn't really work anymore. So you just have your virtual reality headset. And there's other articles I've seen besides that one promoting this. Do you want to go experience being on a fishing boat in the high seas somewhere? You don't have to do it physically because how uncomfortable would that be? You can have a robot 
out there for you. And you can tap into it with your virtual reality headset and you can experience being inside the robot and therefore fishing. And like people won't have to fish anymore. Robots can do it. So robots can start taking over all these tasks and we can actually not just have one avatar robot working for us, but many different ones. And with our implants in our head and our headsets, we can link up to these and then experience so-called experience life out there because life out there is getting scary. There's germs, there's viruses. So why not just stay inside and then have these experiences that way? So there's the metaverse happening with Zuckerberg, you know, the same idea, sim version of yourself online, that kind of digital avatar. They're even talking about hologram versions of ourselves not even having to exist physically anymore. They think that they can just make a digital copy of our brains, a twin brain, they call it, and that they think the brain is us, right? So all you have to do is make a digital version of your brain, and then you can have that as you living forever, and you don't have to have a body. You can have a hologram. You can live in virtual reality forever, so-called reality. But all kinds of fun options awaiting us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think you're right that they are working off a flawed premise, and that is going to be the thing that ultimately saves us. They don't even have a good concept of what consciousness really is. And so they're going to make all these technologies based off an incorrect model. And so many guests I have are saying that they're going to fail at all of these technocratic plans. The only question is how much do we have to suffer before the majority of people realize that they're going to fail? And I think that's insightful. I think that is the answer to the question or the question we need to answer. And you're right about having us live more digital lives. Yes, we're either too poor for real world experiences or we're so unhappy with ourselves and stressed out that we need the escapism. Or like you said, we're afraid. It's like, why take the risk of a big crowd when I could just go to a Fortnite concert? (laughs) It's kind of creepy. I don't really like seeing that kind of stuff. I heard another interesting premise recently that the reason why you're seeing all these tech industry layoffs, these massive layoffs, is because we're kind of at peak tech where a lot of people have said, I don't need a new app. I don't need anything. I just need YouTube and the screen and a couple of content creators. And I'm just going to sit on my couch and stare at my phone and watch YouTube or stare at the TV. And I don't need any more advancements. And of course, capitalism, every company has to grow 10% a year or it's worth nothing, apparently. So people are kind of reacting, not that it's a good thing, because they're saying, well, I'm fulfilled by the screen and what I have now already. Like, that's obviously really bad. But it made me think a lot about how much I'm in front of screens and how much content I'm absorbing because the tech companies are laying off hundreds of people while at the same time, content creators are signing $70 million deals. Joe Rogan signing a new $250 million deal. And it's like, huh, that's interesting. Because it's just all people want to do is watch something. They are unhappy with their lives. They are either sick or, like I said, too poor. I think that's the main thing is people start to feel. I used to make that calculation with my video game systems. Like, oh, I'll buy an Xbox because it's only 300 bucks. And then I'll buy a new game every couple of months, which is only 60 bucks. 
I'm keeping myself entertained for pretty cheap. But walking outside is free. Going to play Frisbee golf is free. You know, this is just the mental gymnastics we do to keep our addictions, really, our digital addictions. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because my next book that I'm in the middle of writing is about digital addiction. Hmm. <laughs> and I think it's a really important topic right now, like maybe more than anything, because it's sort of, to me, the real trap. And even for myself, like you said, I start to think about a lot of this research I've been doing has helped me to analyze my own use of technology and reconsider and reevaluate and also just kind of forge a new relationship with it, which is like a kind of lessening <laughs> of a relationship <laughs> breaking off from. But yeah, it's like, I would say all of us have some level of addiction that we don't identify because it's so normalized and accepted. It's the most normalized, accepted addiction out there. Everybody has it. So what's the problem? But like you said, why are we not happy with our lives? Why are we always looking to escape? Are we going to define our lives as just having been entertained? Oh, I had a great life. I was entertained the whole time. You know, that's what I did. <laughs> I mean, you know, like what happened to like other things we could do that are more fulfilling? There's something to be said for like actually making effort, some kind of effort in your life and then having that fulfillment and satisfaction of having done something more than like achieving a new level in a game. That's not an achievement. Sorry, Greg, <laughs> you're a gamer, but you know. And they call them achievements too when you accomplish certain things in the game. <laughs> so I also wanted to ask you about ivermectin because you're pretty critical of it in the book. And I also am of kind of two minds about it because I like Dr. Pierre Corey and Peter McCullough. And during the pandemic, I thought they were pretty decent voices to listen to compared to what we had. You know, I was really just grasping at straws, looking for some educated person who is on the alternative that I could point friends and family towards. And they had uses in that case. But I also was a little bit like, well, why is this drug that kills worms and parasites useful against COVID? It didn't make sense to me necessarily, but I thought it might just be over my head. But talk to us about this and how, I guess, what you're saying is these doctors are just kind of controlled opposition. They could be. I don't know if they know. I mean, again, controlled opposition, they don't always know they are. The problem is they're doctors and they went through this medical system and they're indoctrinated. I mean, they still have this viewpoint that modern medicine has benefits. I don't share that viewpoint at all. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I could get into the argument of like, well, if you had a broken bone, then again, it seems like they're actually finally realizing that casts aren't good for broken bones, that broken bones actually are best to just let it heal naturally and you can walk on it and that's actually better for it than not walking on it. <laughs> well, anyway. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. And so it's just funny. But you got these doctors, I'm glad they spoke out about the tyranny and the vaccines and everything and lockdowns, but to present this other solution of a pharmaceutical product that is known to have severe adverse events, you know, so-called side effects, including death, coma, blindness, is, I think, irresponsible. And also See, we have- Sorry to cut you off, but they say that the main use of the drug was to cure river blindness and that it's been given to millions of people with no adverse events. But help us understand, because we got to rectify these two different opinions. Well, because, I mean, again, who's saying that Merck is the company who makes this and, you know, another, I think, 
quite evil <laughs> entity. But yeah, they just gave these away to poor Africans to help them. But yes, sometimes the result was blindness or coma or death. I mean, this is documented that this can happen. It's maybe not as easy to find anymore. I found this evidence pretty early on when I was researching in 2020 when this came out. And then I had a really hard time finding it again. But I did, luckily, I found like one of the articles I'd saved. But yeah, this is propaganda. You know, this is always the same thing with pharmaceutical companies and their propaganda marketing. They say that, oh, it's 100%. Oh, it's great. Nothing's 100% successful. No drug is 100% anything. I don't know if it ever cured anybody at all, but it's definitely hurt people. So you have to understand, again, like reading packet inserts for vaccines, do some research and realize that what kind of risks you're taking here. Like you are taking a risk. And the fact also, again, looking at money and funding, I think it was Bill Gates who had shares in that one. Yeah, Bill Gates has shares in ivermectin. So, you know, even if he's not directly promoting it and he's promoting vaccines during this, he's going to make money either way, right? If people go for like the presented alternative, he's standing to make a lot of money and he probably has. And my own experience with people I've known who decided, and unfortunately also like proactively as a preventative, somehow it got then tout it as a preventative and you just take a small dose and you small dose and you'll prevent getting COVID so-called. So, but I've had people hospitalized from this. I know somebody who actually was hospitalized because of this. I have another friend who didn't really link that together, who had intestinal complaints. And I'm like, look, it says you can have intestinal complaints from this. Again, like you can't say it's not that if you took that and that's one of the listed events that can happen that they've documented. So to me, there's so many other options for health and healing. And why would you even risk that? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's (laughs) fair to say. And, you know, you'll find cases of people where they say, well, I took ivermectin and I was better in five days. And it's like, well, the body does have a self-healing mechanism. So how do you attribute anything you took to your healing? Because you can't filter out your body's ability to self-heal. That's always present in the nature of your body. So just because you got better in roughly a week or under a week, it doesn't really mean it was the thing you took. But you do say, is it possible that an anti-parasitical drug is helpful for people suffering COVID flu-like symptoms because the symptoms are the result of fungal parasite-like organisms? Is that what you think was going on there? I think it's a possibility because there's a lot of evidence from chemtrails that a lot of spores, you know, are dropped when they do that. And spores can have an adverse effect on us when you inhale them and they can cause a lot of havoc in the body. So unlike, you know, the unproven germ theory, I think it is something that can be a problem. I mean, we're always inhaling spores of different kinds, but some of these spores are like polymers, actually, you know, they have like polymers in them. So it's a little different. It's a little bit harder for our bodies to deal with, I think, than like a natural environment, natural spores. And there's also always the issue of balance and symbiosis. You know, so in nature, when there's symbiosis, and a lot of different microorganisms and a lot of different fungi all kind of cooperating, working together, then there is health, you know, same thing in our bodies. So when you have like a predominant one thing over the other, and you don't have balance, then that can kind of make a lot of trouble. But I just kind of thought of this example. I lived in Arizona for a while, and my partner and I both got the valley fever symptoms when we first came there. 
And it was like, there's these, a lot of these spores in the soil there and that are pretty horrible, I guess. You know, they can create holes in the lungs if they're left untreated. And I actually found a solution for that with sulfur. I did a lot of digging for this because, you know, medical literature says there's no cure, but you can take this one drug and, you know, maybe you'll have all these other bad things happen, but it's better than nothing. <laughs> and so my partner was like, he had the death rattle in his chest. I mean, he was really sick, crazy fever and spots on his skin and thought he was dying. I found out sulfur was used in the 40s to treat this. And it was used because it's a high antifungal properties. And it was used for like treating roses for fungus. And you could just go to the store and you buy it for roses, but you could just take it. So you can buy it today as MSM. That's what it's sold under as like a joint supplement. And I just gave him high doses of it, which meant an ounce divided into four parts in two days. He was cured in two days. I mean, it did work. So my point about something that might be antiparasitical may help people feel better, just like antibiotics often help people feel better when they have infections, but it doesn't mean it's better for you in the long run because of the compromise that's happening and because of these side effects potential. But when we're sick and our bodies are trying to help us get better, there's often these bacteria arise in our bodies and not really coming at us from outside. And so when you create bacteria in your body to try to like get back into homeostasis and imbalance and, you know, detox, they can release spores that cause symptoms that are really uncomfortable. So when you take like a full spectrum antibiotic, you kill off everything, including the spores that made you feel that way. And so the problem is you're delaying this event that's going to happen again later because you need it to happen. So you're just kind of postponing that. So yeah, oh, I feel great because I took antibiotics, but your body still needs to write this condition. And now it's even harder because you've killed off all these bacteria that you need to help your body. You know, like you've had to start over again. So that's how I see it. That could be the reason why people initially feel better. But I don't think, again, I've seen these other repercussions down the road or even not that far removed from when they were taking it. So you're still possibly creating a lot of damage and destruction. And I also, I used to have a dog walking business and ivermectin was a heartworm medicine for dogs. I mean, I know there's the human one and the dog one, but it's basically the same kind of thing. And the problem is you need to learn how it works. And it works by disrupting the GABA transmitters in your body, right? So there's this GABA amino acid production and it disrupts this. And this is like a really necessary production in your body. And somehow it disrupts this. It's supposed to just disrupt it in these parasites and basically kill them off that way, but it can disrupt it in your body. And, you know, again, they're never really that precision targeting that they say they are with these drugs. You know, they lead us to believe that it's so precise and technology has like been able to do all this, but it's a lot of guesswork still. So unfortunately, a lot of these dogs who got the heartworm medication, it's like 50-50 chance that they'll live or die. Because some of the dogs, because they actually say, I think I have it in my book, I explain a little more in detail that, well, some may have this genetic difference that would make it so that their own amino acid GABA would get interfered with. And they don't know that in advance. So same with people, like some people may have this you know, they try to pretend like it's a mutation, like it's a genetic anomaly. But then again, you can't really test for that in advance. So you don't really know. It's again, another Russian roulette game, which is kind of what you're dealing with with pharmaceuticals in general. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Well, Shannon, <laughs> it's about that time. Your book has tons of super impressive research. It should be on every shelf. I do hope people wake up to this stuff. 
I mean, I have no faith left in the mainstream system, but the next step for me is to be less ignorant of the alternatives and maybe find a more helpful paradigm for my family because we're just kind of blowing in the wind, but we're relatively healthy. So I guess it's fine. But give people any parting info they should have about your book or other books, links, all that good stuff. Yeah. Well, you can go to my website, which is wifi-refugee.com. Unfortunately, Wi-Fi Refugee was taken, but not being used. But <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> but anyway, Wi-Fi-Refugee.com. And you'll find links to my books there. You can actually buy on Barnes & Noble, too, if you don't want to buy on Amazon. You can buy from me directly. If you email me, you can contact me through my website. If you're in the U.S., I can send you a discounted signed copy. Outside the U.S., I can't do that. But yeah, Wi-Fi Refugee, Play the Modern Day Canary. If anybody's watching video, I actually have my books here. And then they're big books. They're very thick, heavy books. Well, this is bigger. Let's see. Shots fired. Yeah. Vaccine weapons. Tyranny. War against. Yeah. You just have the PDF. So this is what the actual book looks like. (laughs) (laughs) And then the one I co-authored with John Hamer is about the same size. Welcome to the Masquerade. I even have a couple of illustrated children's books. Again, on my website and working on a new one. So And my podcasts are all there too. I try to keep it updated and I know that I'll put our link up once we have it. But yeah, just, I guess I want to part with like a positive note that, I mean, because, you know, we terrorize everybody with all this information. Like you said, it's like, you know, we just have to do what we can. I think being, you are forearmed if you're forewarned and it's good to like knowledge is power, but change what you can in your life and do your best. You know, we can't control everything. And I mean, you know, you build your resistance in so many different ways and your resiliency. And so I think that and one of them is a mental, you know, emotional component of taking a break from like the constant news. You know, it's just always depressing (laughs) and a lot of fear. I mean, I think we should know a certain degree of what's happening, but like really focus on building our own, you know, supporting ourselves our family members and getting out in nature. I mean, to me, nature is healing what access we have left to it. We need to safeguard that and get exposed to it and get out there. So get away from the screens and yeah, touch each other. (laughs) Hugs. Amen. (laughs) All right. Yes. Very good advice. It definitely can feel like doom porn. Sometimes people get glued to the drama of it all. And we can only control what we can control. I didn't get the jab, but when I start hearing that they're using mosquitoes and food, it's like, oh, look, I did what I could do. Okay. (laughs) Right. So it is what it is, but I appreciate the information. Your book is really great. And thanks for talking to us today. Keep fighting the good fight. All right. Thank you, Greg. Thanks so much. Oh, Lordy, Shannon Rowan. She came to play, people. It's been quite a while since we really had a big pharma show or anything that mentioned mRNA. For some, it's never going to be long enough, but I do like to try and help the people who do the hard work. Her book is diverse enough in its background and some of the various threads that we could talk about that I would like to think that most of us learned something or thought about the medical system in a new way. I do still struggle to get a true handle on the mRNA shot risk profile. The mainstream won't admit it's responsible for anything, and some of the alternative makes it seem like it's responsible for everything and should be the first question asked when anybody dies. 
But the reality is, the way I see it, there was no reason to get it. So it has no upside, and it puts a person at some level of risk on the downside. But what level is still pretty unclear. I don't know anyone who's had a serious problem yet, but on the other hand, apparently it killed both of George Wiseman's parents. So I don't know, but it's clearly a cornerstone of the big plan, and that should be enough to say no. Obviously, those decisions were made quite a while back. I struggle with the IP address thing, though. I had some vaxxed family here over the weekend, and it didn't show anything on my list of networks. But it's been two years, I guess, and they never got the boosters, so maybe it requires a person to stay updated. Regardless, the future is going to get pretty crazy. But when Shannon said she is hopeful that they can't actually technically implement the things they want, I pretty much agree. When we were kids, there were all sorts of promises about the future that never came true. It was supposed to be some Jetsons utopia, even when my dad was a kid. Kind of sad now that the only real future people can visualize is a disastrous one. But still, you know what I'm saying. I think they're working on a flawed model of the human being at a base level, so of course it won't work. But a lot of people will die before we realize it. Oh, wow. Well, in the Plus Show, we got a lot deeper into the right ways to think about health and what makes us ill. There are still so many questions. The contagion studies are what they are, though. We've cited them before, but if you can't transfer illness from a sick person to a healthy person in the lab through mucus swabs and every possible way you could get discharges from one person onto or into another person, then that model is radically flawed. That's just a fact. You know, one example Shannon uses that I didn't bring up in this interview is that of the Russian Siamese twins, Masha and Dasha. They had their own top halves and shared a bottom half, and they would get sick separately and not always at the same time. I mean, you can't get closer to a person than sharing organs, right? I found this, but here's a little from an article about them from the Advanced Sports and Family Chiropractic and Acupuncture website, where they say, Conjoined twins named Masha and Dasha were born in Russia in the 1950s. They each had one arm, shared one pair of legs, and the fusion created a circumstance where the twins shared many of their internal organs. Each twin did maintain separate hearts and circulatory systems. This meant that the same blood which circulated through Masha's blood vessels also circulated through Dasha's vessels. The amazing and unique part of their health history focused on their nervous systems. Although the same blood circulated through their bodies, each twin possessed a separate and different brain and spinal cord. The separate nervous systems created fascinating instances where one twin would become ill while the other did not. The germs of the sick twin would flow through the shared blood of both twins, but only one would experience symptoms from the flu or the measles virus. The other twin would be symptom-free. Medical schools continue to teach that germs cause disease. The simple philosophy implies that people become sick when they encounter germs. The case study of Masha and Dasha countered that hypothesis when germs circulating through the same body did not create a simultaneous effect on both twins. 
Scientific research proves that the immune system works under the direct control of the brain and nervous system. A 2013 book titled Autonomic Failure published the scientific proof that specific immune-fighting white blood cells operate under the direct control of the sympathetic nervous system. Such evidence proves revolutionary to health and medicine. Any interference to the nervous system makes a person more susceptible to illness. The spine is designed to be in a specific position, which allows for appropriate movement. These factors enable the brain and nervous system to communicate effectively with organs and systems throughout the body. A misaligned or impinged vertebrae will alter the body's potential to heal at full capacity. Chiropractors do not seek to treat, cure, or heal symptoms of disease. Chiropractic adjustments gently improve position and movement in the spine so the brain and nervous system become balanced. Research proves that chiropractic adjustments improve immune function by removing interference from the nervous system. So there you have it. Obviously, they have their own solution that they're vested in, being chiropractic. But still, germ theory is not correct, and the system refuses to adjust the model because too much money is being made. But let's go back to that line, scientific research proves the immune system works under the direct control of the brain and nervous system. Well, this German new medicine premise is that sickness is related to emotions, which we can kind of control mentally. Sounds like we're kind of in the same ballpark. We've talked about German new medicine before, most recently with Gordon, but here's a little bit more about the life of its founder from Shannon's book. The only reason Dr. Hamer had lost his medical license to begin with was because he had submitted the basic findings of his German new medicine, which he called the Iron Rule of Cancer, in 1981 for a postdoctoral thesis in order to qualify as a university lecturer. By 1986, after the University of Tübingen, Germany, rejected his proposal four years earlier, a German court barred him from practicing medicine on the basis that he, quote, failed to deny the iron rule of cancer and failed to convert to the tenets of official medicine. During his 1997 arrest, Hamer's patient files were seized, which during the subsequent court proceedings bore out the fact that Hamer's approach to healing cancer had been a success. 6,000 terminal cancer patients were still living five years past their death sentences given to them by Orthodox doctors. After his 2004 imprisonment, Hamer was officially early released on the condition that he recant his position, but he refused. Hamer was finally released in 2006, but was subsequently forced to spend the rest of his days in hiding as the German magistrate issued another order for his arrest on the same grounds. This persecution and imprisonment of legitimate healers is happening today in the 21st century, hearkening back to the days of the Roman Catholic Inquisitions, which imprisoned, tortured, and murdered anyone who did not fall in line with its orthodoxy, which stands as testament to the fact that we have truly entered the dark ages of medicine. I mean, Jesus, it really is a mafia or a cartel. They won't even allow alternatives. No competition, only us. As we said in the show, if they really meant well, they would leave no stone unturned and welcome new input. How much money is collected to cure research of every single disease? It never solves anything. 
They don't know what cures cancer, but they know it's not cannabis oil or SEACT or Rife devices or orgone accumulators or any of the things people were lining up for before they were banned and the creators jailed or killed. That's the reality. So in the Plus Show, on top of virus deconstruction and a bit about the subtle art of poisoning, I asked Shannon more about that emergency health kit I mentioned and if she was tasked with making something similar but using natural non-Big Pharma products, what would she have in it? And I'm not going to go over all the things she mentioned, but she did email me even more and I will add that info, but she said she would add manzanita leaves, which are used as tea for bladder or urinary infections, amazingly potent, grows wild where she lives, but you can also order it online. Andographis herb, which is a bitter herb, good liver tonic, and also good for symptoms during acute colds and flus. Tea tree oil for cuts and scrapes and fungal infections on the skin. And thyme oil, which is an antifungal for skin or ringworm as well. She also said she might be retracting her advice about sulfur supplements at least in synthetic form, because she's learning more about synthetic vitamins and how that's a lot of bullshit usually. But you could replace that with sulfur-rich foods like garlic. It's funny because I actually heard something similar too. You'll see a lot of food products that say they have citric acid in them, or they'll say they have a lot of vitamin C and it comes from citric acid. I think even that emergency stuff you're supposed to take when you're sick is basically citric acid. Well, I saw something recently that that's basically a mold that they culture in the lab and then use in all these products. It's not like they're squeezing an orange and extracting out the vitamin C. So all that kind of stuff, you know, it never surprises me the more and more I learn that a lot of this stuff is bullshit. You really just have to eat natural whole foods. Our bodies should be thought of as holistic, and I think the same is true for foods. You can't take out the ingredients of an orange or a blueberry and isolate one and say, well, that's why these things keep you healthy. Just eat the damn orange and blueberry. <laughs> I think there are qualities in these things that have yet to be even understood. But yeah, we really are sort of on our own trying to figure this stuff out. If the only alternative that anyone's willing to consider is communism, well, then I'll take capitalism. But a major flaw in our model is nobody can be 100% honest if it's something that conflicts with their income. So anyone with a product to sell is trying to sell it. And it all culminates in confusion across the board when all we want is to be healthy. And if the answer is plant a damn blueberry bush and eat its fruit, I guess no one really profits from that outside of the nursery, so who's giving you that advice? Well, I hope you find shows like this useful. I wanted to break up the UFO, high strangeness, consciousness, dream channeling talk a bit. I hope this did that. I had two other really creative shows planned, but the guests had to reschedule, so we'll see if they even happen. But just know that I'm aware we've been a little one note recently and I planned to get more diverse, but I got to do the dance with those who actually show up. That said, as for the last show with Daniel Rekshan, who I thought had some really interesting ideas, well, he gets a 4.3 from the plus people. 
kind of low. It is what it is, but I do like how willing he is to dive in head first and test things and explore stuff like the Yanakian workings. He's got an inquenchable thirst for the mysteries. But apparently it wasn't everyone's cup of tea. 4.3 isn't bad, but it's a B. And with so many A's and rarely a C, it's not my favorite thing to see. But again, it is what it is. All right, I've been yapping for a while now. Let's scope out the meetup calendar. It is Valentine's Day. This is what I'm doing. But February 17th, you could be going to the Monkey Puzzle in London. February 20th, you could go to Monday Night Brewing in Nashville, Tennessee. On the 29th of February, you could go to the Denver Gets Higher meetup. And also, I got an email, something that has not popped up on the calendar. I guess it hasn't been approved by our moderator for the meetup website, but the Cincinnati meetup is coming back around. This is one that I've seen before, Sinspiracy rings a bell. I'm not sure how many they've had, but more than one. And the host of this event really wants the event to pop up on the damn calendar so people can RSVP and know about it. So I'm telling you now, if you listen to Higher Side Chats and you're around Cincinnati, the meetup is happening. And he actually rented a room, which we say on the website, don't do that. You don't need to spend any money or notify any venues. Usually a brewery courtyard is all you need or a quiet corner of a coffee shop. But still, it's a nice gesture and I want people to know about that event if they're in the area. So all good stuff. Make some new friends. What else are you doing? But I'm getting out of here. Shannon's books are very good and very large and thorough. You won't be disappointed with any of them. Let her know you enjoyed her work if you did. And take care out there. I've done my part. Your move, Dark Pharma Faithfuls, pill-pushing profiteers, and members of the Church of Death. Your fucking of corporate junk process stuff that makes you fat yeah it's a weak and sickly people making industry don't tell me don't tell me lies discipline is no fun I find denial makes it all gone and I don't have technology and every now and then